The future is being created right now, every day, by every act you take. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. We interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, and ask them all our one penetrating question. In all that seems to be going awry and going wrong, what could possibly go right? My guest today is beautiful and amazing Jody Evans. She is an American political activist, author, and documentary film producer. She characterizes her activism as working for peace and justice, environmental causes, and women's rights. Evans was the co-founder of the women's anti-war activist organization Code Pink with Medea Benjamin and others. And she is the co-founder of an after-school writing program called 826ALA. She serves on the board of directors of numerous organizations that foster environmental, charitable, educational, sociopolitical healthcare causes, including the Center for New Economics, the Drug Policy Alliance, the Foundation for World Arts, Global Girl Media, Hereditary Disease Foundation, Institute for Policy Studies, the Motion Institute, Threshold Foundation, and Rainforest Action Network. Along with two friends, she bought Two Rivers Farms, which is located at the convergence of the Mackenzie and Mohawk Rivers in the Mohawk Valley, east of Springfield, Oregon. The farm is a communal support system for beginning farmers to share access to land, tools, and knowledge. Cultivating both food and education is our primary goal, they say. Her work now centers not on ending war per se, but on replacing the war economy, which would be everything that diminishes love, life, justice, sharing, and relationships, and living into the peace economy. As she rattled off the features of the peace economy in our conversation, it mapped perfectly on my long journey to create a world that runs on the energies of love, generosity, and sharing, rather than the energies of money and oil. We do the peace economy right where we are locally, dismantling the privileges of the powerful in our own minds and hearts, and then gathering with others to create well-being. She organized her community of Venice, California to meet the needs of the homeless in a spirit of generosity. So this is a great conversation where she had barely enough time to outline just part of the features of what she means by a peace economy. And I think you'll see that it's a world that you would want to live into. Welcome, Jody, to what could possibly go right, a uh, project of the Post Carbon Institute. You are sort of the epitome for me of what a cultural scout is. You watch the horizon for what's emerging. You are multifaceted. You care deeply. You work on front lines issues, not just from a distance. You keep an open spirit of goodwill, even as you kick butt and tell the truth. So. Quite honestly, you have been a great inspiration to me over many, many years. I was just thinking as I was thinking about talking to you that many people have welcomed the lower key Biden administration after the trauma of four years. And people who have worked on progressive domestic issues, I think many of us are very surprised by how far he's taking things further than we thought. But on international relations, not so much. There's sort of a, we're the good guys screen out here. And I know this is the front lines that you pay attention to. And so I, 
you know, our basic question that I'm going to toss your way is with all that seems to be going wrong, what could possibly go right? And so if you want to look at the landscape beyond the shores of the United States and tell us, that would be great. So Jody, what could possibly go right? Vicki, it's so fun to be with you. I miss you. And I miss you too. We've been many decades of tilling these soils together. So I'm planting seeds of peace. So yeah, I want to back up in the sense of working at the level of Biden is not where we work. You know, so at Code Pink, we see the structures, they are violent, they are oppressive, they are extractive, they are destructive. And, you know, we were working to end war and about eight years ago, we realized, oh, we won't end war till we end the war economy. And that really war serves the war economy and couldn't see that more vividly than right now with China and Lincoln, you know, making a total fool of himself talking to the Chinese and even Biden yesterday, where he's saying, you know, she doesn't know anything about democracy, which basically means Biden knows nothing about China. So we back way up and realize that there is a war economy. And then we also look at there is climate catastrophe, there's a level of inequality that has never probably been on this planet. And there's like $2 trillion worth of weapons sold every year, including 300 million weapons owned by American citizens. So when we look at that, and I kind of look at it as the flood, you know, it's like, here we are, you know, what is our existential flood that we live inside of? And how do we make it past the flood that we've kind of created ourselves? And we call that cultivating a local peace economy. Now, in looking at the war economy, it exists and it's weird because people grab onto it thinking it gives life, but it doesn't. It is killing you, it is killing your communities and it's killing the planet. And that's never been more obvious than right now COVID helped us to see it, but, you know, the, the devastation of the form that has been operating for the past couple of hundred years has failed, and it's failed miserably. And so a peace economy, we are alive because of a peace economy. That is parenting, that is community, that is the, the planet Earth that is so generous. So the peace economy exists. And every year it's squeezed down more and more. Education, healthcare, oh, the commons, farming, you know, how we feed each other. They are really at the mercy of the destructive tendencies of the war economy. So what we say is, of course, we will continue to resist the war economy in all the ways we can. And mostly for us, it could think that's just telling the truth. That is standing in front of all the lies that come at us and say, that narrative is like, you're trying to catch us in the flypaper of that narrative. We're not going to go there. We're going to give you another narrative. The narrative about how we live on this earth or how we create conditions conducive for life isn't even in the conversation. So the fights that are happening in Washington, they're tinkerings, but they're not changing the system. We have seen what the death of George, the murder of George Floyd showed us is you know, we've been in the streets trying to change things and they change for some people, but mostly in just the way they get co-opted into the system and leave another big swath of people behind. So 
we have to look and say, okay, how do I affect the war economy, peace economy? How do I cultivate my local peace economy, which would be the arc that uh, takes me through the flood? So the war economy, we have to divest from it. We have 21 ways to divest from the war economy because we don't even realize that as we desire peace, as we desire connectivity, as we desire a fulfillment, we are inside a machine that is destroying those synapses for our, ourselves. That if we decide to play in that game, we decide at our own peril. It's gonna like have its way with you because <laughs> it's this kind of destruction machine. So how do we first practice our way out of these habits that are the war economy? that are the tip we all suck at and that we can you know, divest ourselves from. So we have 21 ways of divesting from the war economy. I'm just gonna run through a few of them quickly so you can kind of see what that looks like. So the war economy thrives from alienation. So it does its best to make us feel alienated. A peace economy is about connection. So how do we break those patterns? So then, self-directed to community engaged. We've got so lost in the war economy thinking. And especially one of the things is like big. I, I say this to peace activists, you did not start the war in Syria. You are not going to end the war in Syria. And there's something that happens inside of empire mind. You know, we're all in the U.S. We're imperialists, right? We don't even understand that our brain is on imperialism. And that makes us stupid. <laughs> so we don't even get that because it's like the water we swim in, right? It makes us really stupid. Self is no way to get anywhere. Everything has to be community, whole brain directed. Like, what is the whole thinking? We've forgotten that that's even a value, but it's a necessity. You know, so it's not just a, it's not just a value. If we don't, we're not doing it, we're getting very lost. It's kind of like the billionaires giving money to philanthropy. It's just going to get us more lost, just like the way they made the money. It's not changing anything. It's just like taking us off on another tangent of, of lostness. That's not how it's supposed to work. Philanthropy is just part of the problem. But we get stuck in this, like, but we have to fix this and we need things here. War started when civilizations became complex. I say, find the simple. It is the complex is killing us. The big is killing us. Do not worry about anyone else. The future is being created right now, every day, by every act you take. So what does that look like? What are you doing? Don't worry about other people. Don't worry. I, I want to also say there is this folly of fretting that is destroying the world. We all get just caught in the folly of fretting. We get caught in our fears. I mean, I work with people all over the world. They have real fears. We live in like... The United States of America, we have these like crazy false fears that then get us off on tangents. And we have these crazy ideas that are full of hubris that we're going to fix the world. I just a reminder, we're like 4% of the world and we are making the worst problems for the world. Just stopping is already right. a big gift to the planet. So like, stop, go back to the simple and quit worrying about, quit coming out of that empire mind come back to what is it to be human? What is it to be relational? What is it to be connected to each other and to connect it to the need of this moment? And from that place, 
you can start to move out. So I'm going to use a couple of examples. Well, just a couple of more like competition to interdependence, transactional to relational. Oh, that's a big one. At Code Pink, we work on that like every day, that discipline of like, our brains have been so conditioned to be transactional instead of relational, to get something done, to do it. So we get this return. We forgot that we're in relationship with other human beings. And it's it's really bad. Apathy to engagement. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to just poke in here too and just ask, in a way I could be saying just what you're saying, because we are so on the same page. Really, you know, the simplicity, relocalization, relational, everything's relational. Where do you see green shoots of this peace economy growing now as the old order fumbles the ball? Yeah, tell me that. So first of all, like when I started eight years ago, people couldn't quite see it, but a lot of people took it on. And so they're at the seven-year level. And I want to say seven years is transformative. Nine months, you get caught into it. Seven years is transformative. But I think COVID has helped everyone see what is essential. And more people are coming. And it's like right now, it's on steroids. The airlift is pretty cool. So let me just go back to a starter moment. I'm going to start with my own community of like, how do you do this? So the first thing is we got together as a community. We invited a bunch of people and there was like 30 people in the room. I live in Venice Beach, California. Where does the war economy, who is suffering from the war economy, the worst in my community? So we kind of looked out, which helped us like, where do we live? Who's at the effects of the war economy? Because they're at the effects of the war economy. You are homeless because it serves the war economy. The war economy wouldn't be able to function if you weren't homeless. That's part of the design. So when we look at people who are homeless, we see it's, first of all, a failure of the system. It's failed in many ways, but it's also in service to the system. So we have to recognize that, that you, if you have a home, that person not having a home benefits you having a home in the, in the function of the system. So we found out that we had 1,500 homeless youth living in our community. And so what is a peace economy? It's love. It's care. You know, what's missing in the war economy is the understanding that we're human beings and we need care and we need healing and we need to be relational. So let's just start out. What does that look like with homeless youth? So we started out at the beach feeding um, meals out of the car on a Saturday. And then we listened to what they needed. Oh, what do you need? Not coming with hubris. Like we know what you need. Who are you and what do you need? And each week we responded to those needs, backpacks, socks, jackets, but we went out to the Venice community and said, how do we love the homeless youth in our community? And the organization came out of that was called SPY, Safe Place for Youth. But we engaged, so we would put out on all the forms we had, like, come bring this, come bring that. If you're a therapist, could you come between the hours of blah, 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 and sit with them? Could you bring your healthcare services and support them? And so it became quite an abundant thing of a Baptist church around the corner and he gave us the upstairs on Thursdays and people made meals. And well, then one of the women who was volunteering her time to do the therapy, her husband invested in Snapchat. He made a lot of money and he bought a building on the main street where now we've been able to serve thousands of youth and they've been housed and they've learned skill sets. But the biggest thing was it's a community that's an old community, but rich people are moving in. And all of a sudden, LA is run by neighborhood councils. 
And there was a whole platform of people who were running on safe and secure. We're going to make our community safe and secure. And the rest of us were like, that's a dog whistle for racism, for, you know, abuse to people who are poor. And so in most neighborhood councils, 6,000 people voted around Los Angeles. In Venice, 58,000 people voted because they had been creating this love puddle for the homeless. And right now in LA, there are more home, you know, those without houses in Venice. Why? Because we made a space that was safe for them. And here they get water, they have toilets. There's an understanding that I exist because you exist. And how do we be in that relationship of understanding of what's really failing in our city? And, you know, that 60% of your tax dollars for the last 20 years have gone to weapons and war and not to the, the fabric of society. And so that's what happens. Here's what happens. And we all participate in that. So it's to help educate people of the system we live in and how do you be relational with that? So that's one example. I wanna use another one which is, you know, privatization of land is the original sin because then I have to protect it, it's mine and, and how we got away from commons. And so that's just been eroded. So one of the things was how do you um, create land trusts where we come back to creating forms so commons can reemerge because what we're actually trying to reemerge is a commons, which is a peace economy, which is how do we share and care for each other? And how does, how does the abundance of what we have be available for all? And so I had a place up in Northern California, gave it to the community with the intention of it being in the commons in 20 years, because it takes time to build community, have relationship. Well, so for 20 years, not a dime was spent. It was like, there's no money, but what does labor bring? And it was the most vibrant space. It was kind of like a biodynamic farm when you were on it, because it was never about money. It was always about what is needed. What does the community need? What do they want to offer? What do they want to create for themselves? And now it's just like this robust, abundant, beautiful space. Well, so then I use that as a way to bring other people that have big pieces of land together and say, what are you doing with your piece of land? And they would say, oh, I'm, you know, doing this to get this return on investment. At the end of two days, I would say, well, there is no better return on investment than a vibrant community. Money, what does money matter? You need so little money to live. Really, if we, you know, I'm speaking to the teacher of this. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you just, you know, got to the place of like, what do I actually need and quit living life out of return on investment? First of all, it's just so much more beautiful. I mean, the most amazing things are happening out of that 750 acres have been returned to the Muscogee. There are only 43 people who still speak the language. They're now doing their sturgeon. I mean, given back, right? into a land trust for the Muscogee. There was a woman who came who had a, a plantation in Louisiana. It has now been given to black farmers. And now Lotus Foods has come in to not only serve, like have a market because you can't just give things. You have to also give the, the sustainability, the abundance. There's another woman giving 7,000 acre farm and she's got a 20-year plan to make it sustainable for the community before it passes over. And so 
What does that look like? What does whole community thinking look like? And so the League with Land is just like erupted. Right now, it's a $200 million project in the middle of Los Angeles called 40 Acres in a Mall. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) Crenshaw. So if like we talk about reparations, if we talk about being able to have experiments in what the future looks like. Well, so here's 40 acres in the middle of Los Angeles that belongs to a black community that was going to be taken over by the Trump kids. And now like BlackRock wants to take it over. But the, but the community has stood up and said, no, if you give this lease to these people, we will not show up there. And they canceled the lease with the Trump kids. And now we're, you know, in a fight with the BlackRock, but it's real. People get it. And I want to say that first it's nine months to break our habits because the brain synapses think that the war economy is life, but it's not. And when you start to practice these other things, I mean, how many people come to me and like, oh my God, we live in a field of generosity. But we're, if we are caught in the war economy, you are not connected to that field of generosity. And right. people are just shocked by what happens when you start in the giving field. And then it's just like, oh my God, it's everywhere. And like, it always was, but your headset is somewhere else and you're not witnessing it. So after about nine months and Reverend Barber and I compare notes, cause that's what Moral Mondays is for him. You know, and he's teaching the war economy, peace economy, because it so articulates. If you can see it as like a war economy and a peace economy, it's easier to relate to it. And if you know what the results of inequality, of militarism, racism, you know, the the imperialism we live inside of, the patriarchy we live inside of, if you know that what you need to do is just divest yourself from that, listen to what's needed and serve the joy, the fulfillment, the wonder, the creativity is kind of profound. And I can say that because now I've witnessed it for seven years. And I mean, just the, the, the synaptic relationships that are happening, where it's gone now from farming to indigenous farming to bringing in uh, healing. Now the crisscrossing of, of relationships it becomes these spirals that find each other, feed each other, nurture each other. And so it's really, it's just like, I say to you, let go of the war economy. It is not serving you. Matter of fact, you are serving it. It is using your life. And so you choose how you want your life to be used. You find out how to create conditions conducive for life with your life. And your life will be a stepping stone to a more vibrant future. And it will itself be more vibrant and nurturing and relational and joyful and everything that the war economy doesn't give you. Exactly. Ah, So invigorating. I'm sure that people just walk by you on the street and they catch it a little bit. So a lot of what you've done has depended on getting a group of people together to work together. That's number one. Here we've been for the last year, somehow or another, you know, in suspended social animation. How has this agenda, how has the peace agenda possibly even been empowered and forwarded through this time when our old social habits have been disrupted? I'm interested. 
Well, so coming together on Zoom is become like, you know, a habit. And many of these have come together on Zoom, continue to do the work. I mean, in my community, the work on serving the unhoused community is super vibrant. And it's been really our connective tissue, I would say, which is so nourishing. But also in like the lead with land or in, you know, how are these synergies coming together? It's been that, that there is a network that has been built and it's, it's coming together. It's sharing the, the community that is committed to this is huge. I mean, that's the thing. It's not seen. It's not what you read about in the paper. It's not what you run into because it's all happening locally. But if we don't start these experiments, if, if locally we are not experimenting, we are going to go down. You know, it's just like, it's going down. So it's choosing to create one of the experiments and some of the experiments catch fire and they're flooding all over. It's like Severin with the Greenhorns, who's all over the place, nurturing new experiments. It's Soulfire Farms where, you know, she's nurturing BIPOC farming that's going on all over the country. Well, that's, it's happening on Zoom, but it's also happening locally. I mean, farming a lot happens outside. But I want to say that if anything, COVID has ramped this up because people get it. I mean, like the old system is failed. It does not work. We watched it fail everyone. We're watching billionaires get richer. That is not okay. And the systems are failed. What does it look like to create new systems? And that's what's happening. And it's fantastic and beautiful. Right. One of the things that's getting clear to me from talking to my beautiful cultural scouts from so many different areas, it's like we've lost the imagination for something else, you know? So what you're doing actually is you're creating a vibrant, lived, almost like tableau, tableaus. You're creating these beautiful tableaus around the country and you're a great storyteller and cheerleader. And so people can go like, oh, that's how it would look because we cannot inside the war economy, inside the patriarchy, whatever we want to call the system that is destroying us. And I think that one of the great things about COVID is, is that, as you say, it's laid bare, which there's no doubt anymore. And, and we're less and less afraid of, of calling BS on the very thing that we think is our lifeblood, which is money. But you can't just call BS. You have to act. And you know, that's what we are, Code Pink. Everything is about action. Because if we don't act, we let really the banality of it and the brutality of it undermine our capacity to act. So it's about acting every day. That's why we give people the practices. As soon as you start practicing, as soon as you start taking... That's why I call it the folly of fretting. You have to just go, okay, I get it. And when we say we know something, I don't believe you know something until you actually act out of it. And so <laughs> there's a lot of I know something, but I don't trust that you know it because you're still caught up in this other thing. And I know what gets in the way is a doubt, a what if. Can I tell you there is no freaking what if. We know, any intelligent person knows, when there is inequality, there is gonna be violence. If we are not creating systems that connect us and create relationality, we are, you know, 
messed up. So it's a bad thing. So to not operate out of that is where I get confused. It's like, if you look out and you see what happened in Texas, and if you don't look at what these climate change things that they keep escalating, that they are going to escalate every year. And it's unfortunately is taking down always the poorest, always those who have the less. So who are you and what are you doing? Don't worry about others. Who are you? What are you doing? How do you get together with your community? How do you find ways to divest from these bad habits that you, you know, have engendered thinking this was life? And how do you just use your wild imaginations together to create something absolutely fresh and new? Absolutely fresh and new. I just feel like you're narrating my, like 30 years of my life or maybe 40. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I definitely lost some altitude in the Trump years. I just couldn't believe that I would wake up every morning and things, one more thing that I thought, you know, okay, that's, that's sort of nailed down in something that's going in the right direction. And no, how did you do that? How did, he, nailed down. how did he yank down. it out? But it made us in a way it, it definitely was demoralizing, but it also made me stronger. There's there's no way to be sort of like a happy alternative person. Or there is a bystander. There's no bystanders. Yeah. But it's not even bystanding. It's, it's like, I'm going to just have my nice, you know, it's sort of individualism. It's sort of eco-individualism, if you will. <laughs> but so I think that our political muscle has gotten stronger, not in necessarily in electoral politics, but in that we are the polis, we are the people, this is our place. And I just feel like my, I feel my own dander and courage just rising as I listen to you, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it is a sort of a bracing reminder because, because with what could possibly go right, it's like in the midst of all that's going wrong, let's acknowledge what could possibly go right. It's a way of looking at what's in front of you to see the possibilities that are rising in what you're also saying is not only stand there and look at them and, and tell your friends and, and tweet about it and take a picture, you know, engage, 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 engage with the possibilities. And learn, you're going to learn every day and that what that does to your brain, what it does to your body, what it does to your capacity to be related to the possible. You know, I think that when we step out, you know, when we look at the stupidity and say, I'm not, that's not the game I'm playing. I am not on that narrative. I'm on right. another narrative. And my narrative is, you know, what am I doing today to, you know, create the conditions conducive for life? What am I learning about that? Like, I don't, I don't know, what is that? And I learn and I share and, and the sharing that takes place is just phenomenal. And let's just say the sharing, the, 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 the crime that the United that was revealed last weekend that the United States is not allowing the sharing of vaccines. That is the war economy. It, you know, let those moments, you know, like you said, fuel you to creating the peace economy to being relational, because you've got to look at that and go, that's a fail. And where can I share? Like, whenever I look at things, I just go, oh, my God, I like, how do I behave different than that? What does that look like in this moment? And then it teaches me another muscle. It teaches me another like, oh, I was, you know, like it breaks me out of the construction. Right. And then when you're in a room together, when, you know, because the first thing of a local piece of economy is find a community and just start because every time, every something different comes out of every community. And 
what's magical that I don't think people understand is like, when you get in a community and you start talking about need, the brain power that shows up and what shows up in the room is kind of phenomenal. I, I don't even know how to language it, but it's so phenomenal. And it's more like we don't use our brains every day yes. really for life. And our brains were created to create conditions conducive for life. I mean, some days I just sit here and I go, how many people struggled, fought, gave everything that I am here and that I'm gonna like not show up for it? Now, I wanna say everybody that's part of the local peace economy says they've never worked harder, but they've never been more fulfilled. I think we've all bought into this notion about we're like living life for vacations and retirement. What is that? That's not even life. We're like living life to be extinct instead of being engaged. And so it's just like, instead of instinction, I'm for revolution. And the revolution is just about, you know, engaging in another possibility. Wow. Why don't we call that a wrap? Because I don't know that we could get any higher. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jody. Thank you so much, Vicky. I, I'm, we're sisters in this for so many years. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Cher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.